Hi, I'm Richard Deitch, host of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Maggie Gray, host of The Gray Area. Hi, I'm Ted Keith, host of the SI Vault Podcast. For more than 60 years, Sports Illustrated has championed its brand of quality sports journalism. Now SI has a new partnership, one that helps us tell the stories that matter to your life through today's mobile channels. So as of today, all 11 Sports Illustrated podcasts are joining the Panoply Network with more new titles on the way soon. Visit SI.com slash podcasts for more info. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello from the Slate Studios in New York City. Welcome to Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about the increasingly absurd process of campaigning for the presidency of the United States of America. I'm Alex Wagner from MSNBC. With me here in New York, sweltering away, walked in with a Chinese copy of his hit smash book, This Town, author and chief national correspondent for the New York Times Magazine, the great Mark Leibovich. Alex, it's great to be here. For those of you who don't have, who aren't sitting with us in the studio, we'll be tweeting photos of this throughout the week. This book cover is probably the best book cover I've ever seen, and you can, in fact, judge a book by its cover. It is the Chinese version. By the way, has this podcast been blocked in China? We aren't a success until we have been. Yeah, okay. really. We need to try harder. And, and down there, the dulcet tones, the, is it alto, the alto tones of the great Annie Lowry, contributing editor for New York Magazine. Guys, Annie, Mark, I'm so happy to be in this space with you. I know. We're back together, finally. We have the like relative intimacy of two studios. And two studios and a copy of This Town with Anthony Hopkins dressed as a clown and tears coming rolling down it, his The face. only thing that would be better if Anthony Hopkins in clown makeup were actually podcasting with us. It, that's true. So, well, there's always next week. <laughs> First up, rumors are swirling that both Al Gore and Joe Biden may hop into the Democratic primary. We'll talk about what that means for John Edwards and John Kerry. I mean, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Next, believe it or not, it has now been 10 weeks since Donald Trump officially launched his campaign for the Republican presidential nomination. We will discuss the unthinkable and apparently unsinkable candidate. And finally, it is August, which, if you're a politician, means you're on Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard. Mark will explain to us why both places still hold such allure and how he got that incredible even bronze this summer and previous summers. All this and a new philosophical segment wherein we will discuss whether Twitter actually makes us happy. And by us, we mean the collective us as a people. So let's get to the first the first important discussion point. New rumors that Joe Biden and former VP Al Gore may be getting more serious about jumping into the Democratic pool. The venerable New York Post said its sources confirmed that some big shots among the New York Dems had been contacted by Gore's people to test the proverbial waters. And according to Team Biden, the Veep is still considering it. Mark, what is going on here? Well, I think it's August. I think we have a breaking rumor. We must jump all over it. I mean, what I think this is a response to is the incredible, incredible clamor you've seen in the streets of some of the major U.S. cities for Al Gore and Joe Biden to jump into this race so that we must not be deprived of We had to cross day. picket lines getting here. We did. It was really hard, actually. So here we have a two-time disaster as a presidential candidate, Joe Biden, who you know, obviously well-liked. There's a reservoir of goodwill around him. And Al Gore, who makes Jeb Bush look tanned and rested himself, although I guess Al Gore himself is pretty tanned and rested from what I could tell of the photos. He's also a lot richer than when he ran before. I think neither of them will run. That is my 
rank speculation upon the breaking rumors that we are trafficking in here. However, um, I think that it speaks to larger dissatisfaction and restlessness with the establishment candidate. Annie, what do you think about all of this? And is there not some value in this particular moment, in this particular week, to having a Democratic insurance candidate, if that's what we can call Joe Biden and or Al Gore? It would be great for Democrats if they did have a real race on their hands, right? I think that if at this point Biden and Gore stepped in, I think that they would have some trouble raising money and wearing Hillary down. I think it would be a hard road for both of them. I think that's the reason that they're not going to do it. It would be really nice if we were in some sort of counterfactual world in in which, you know, perhaps there were somebody to give Clinton a run for her money, perhaps a, a young senator from Illinois, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> to test her a little bit. But we're just not in that world. And I don't think that these kind of Democrats wishing will make it so. We have O'Malley mentum and Bernie mentum, and that's what we got at this point. I'm totally with Mark. Can I just say what the mention of Joe Biden and Al Gore makes me think alongside Hillary Clinton is holy shit, the Democratic Party better start recruiting yeah. some new people. Yeah, I, think I mean, that's really, right. you have a thousand Republicans. Now, we will go forward in this podcast and dissect the, their, their merits. But really, these are the people we're talking about who've all run at one point and lost. Yeah, like they've both <laughs> run and have been twice. in American public life for a really long time. Now, right. I'm not going to denigrate the importance of experience and and so forth, but I mean, we th- the Democrats have got to start getting right. some flavor in the mix, and I don't mean that in any sort of racialized ethnic way. I just mean something new, something that is from a different generation. We perhaps. present John Kerry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, his I'm name waiting. has when actually did, come up. When are the Kerry up. rumors going to start? They actually have they started. Will. I yeah, mean, I mean, they will. If the Iran deal goes through. I totally agree with you, Alex. You look at, you know, four years from now, and I think that you have this younger generation of folks that really have to start thinking about building a national platform. And if I were in the party, I would be thinking about doing this too, right? Strategically, once Hillary has the nomination locked down, how do you start elevating other voices? And you know what's interesting to me? I wonder what you think of this, Mark. Republicans feel very comfortable saying, look, I'm a businessman. I've had no experience in politics. I'm going to run. Whether that's Herman Cain, pizza magnate, Donald Trump, real estate billionaire, Carly Fiorina, HP executive with a checkered past. It doesn't matter that they've never held elected office. To them, they see that as a credential almost. The same does not hold true for Democrats. And I wonder why that is, because I would think there would be some sort of thought leaders, some progressive sort of stars that could be recruited from outside politics. Right. I mean, you would think that that is where their talent base is, because it certainly isn't in the House or Senate or even governor's offices right now. Right. I mean, you hear about the Castros, but they're probably a little too new and, and not well known and not well seasoned. But I mean, you hear Howard Schultz sometime. He is kind of like the one democratic potential private sector guy. I don't know. You, and who you wants a, to be involved? Who who wants to be involved, right? I don't go to Starbucks. Uh, you don't go to Starbucks? I've never had coffee in my life. Is that true? Do I sound like someone that whoa, 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 wait, Back up. Is that really true? I, uh, I had to get off the stuff about Why? a decade ago. A decade can, ago? Can you imagine me? And yet you've been so, you've been so pre- You have to de- peel me off the ceiling. I thought you were on caffeine. No, it's just plenty of Peruvian cocaine. I was going to Peruvian? Yeah, cuz you really? you think it's it's a whole locally sourced thing. I'm kidding. Obviously I'm kidding. No, I do not you know, it's a partake in any illegal substances under any occasion. Okay, that's a great segue though. Yeah. Speaking of things that are on the 
are taboo, if mm. you will. Yeah. Over in the Republican Party, it is still Donald Trump's race. We've been taboo. saying this, Annie. We've been saying this for, God, how long have we been saying this? Feels like years. Ten weeks. We've been saying it Ten since week weeks. one, and now we can't. I think we have to stop marveling at the fact that he still exists and is leading in the Republican Party and sort of now get into perhaps the only thing that he truly excels at, which explains his popularity, is his command of the media, Annie. And I don't know if you saw Chuck Todd's command interview with him this Sunday, but he has an ability to just say things, including when asked who his foreign policy advisors are, his response was, I watch the shows. <laughs> then pro- <laughs> then proceeded to not name any single military advisor, in, as far as I know, in the U.S. Armed Services, and, and got away with it. Yeah. And, and Kevin Madden pointed this out on Twitter today. If that had been any other Republican candidate, his fellow candidates would have jumped all over him or her. Yeah. On policy, he's a disaster. On the one hand, he is kind of just like a centrist Republican. He has some kind of like weird heterodox like healthcare things. Obviously, he he knows nothing and has not committed himself to learning anything about countries other than America. And I actually think he will get away with not answering questions seriously for a very long time because that's what people want of him is this kind of like blustery spectacle. He's impossible to embarrass and he's just a total honey badger. And so and he's I've never seen a politician better at just not answering questions. What do you think about ISIS? And he's like, oh, smash them. And it's like, that's not an answer. But, you know, how is he the honey badger? He doesn't care, Mark. It it wasn't indifference. It was viciousness. (laughs) I mean, which I think obviously is part of I think he has a little bit of that. I think he's got a lot of that. He's very antagonistic. Yes. Well, I mean, what what member of the animal kingdom do you think we should be likening uh, him to. I would say <laughs> his hair is feathered like the wings of a majestic bird. Yeah. As the, <laughs> it's plume-like. It's plume-like. Not a... Hmm. I would say he's kind of a, a, badger, a badger, right? He yeah. has a certain cat-like insouciance. Yeah. He has like kind of a golden retrievers affable. Oh, but that's giving golden retrievers a bad name. True, true. Golden retrievers have never done anything to deserve that. I think we need to leave color and um, coat out of it <laughs> and hmm. go purely with personality. And I yep. think a badger is probably a good one. I don't know if a groundhog. A groundhog <laughs> seems sort of ornery and yet popular. We celebrate this animal. Who, we don't sell any. We celebrate what would any Bernie animal. Sanders be? Sanders is like a very smart rabbit. I'm see. I'm going by looks now. Interesting. A very <laughs> smart rabbit. He's a vole. He's a vole. And he's oh, just pulling out crossword, yeah. I like crossword it, puzzle answers, names. <laughs> Wait, can <laughs> we go back to, to the to the Trump thing though, Mark? And you you've interviewed a number of presidential candidates. People present facts to him, and he throws the facts back in their face. Mexico is killing us. He has given the stats on Mexico's GDP, the sort of value of the peso, which has declined over the last five years, and just says, Mexico's killing us because Nabisco is moving a factory there, full stop, over, done. Okay, when I'm sometimes on TV, mm-hmm. you are on TV many days, but when I'm sometimes on TV, the most common response I get from viewers is, hey, I saw you were on TV. You sounded good. You look good. They never know what you say. That's true. I mean, the the actual number of TV viewers who listen and to, who make moment-to-moment judgments on substance and, you know, evaluating the, mer- the merits of what they're saying is very, very low. And I think he's probably benefiting from that because he's been ubiquitous. He speaks with great confidence. His candidacy so far, I think, is a great advertisement for confidence 
even at the expense of anything else. But that is endlessly, as someone in the media, someone on TV, like that is endlessly frustrating. That yes. he is mass, he's he is the puppet master. He truly is a Teflon Don in that respect. His timing is so excellent on television. He's just like magnetic. He is allowing certain parts of the Republican Party to express some ideas and some policy inclinations that are not where the party, you know, writ large wants to go, especially on I, immigration. I, his immigration policy is going to be probably the most destructive thing that he does to this race. All of the other candidates will be judged. They will be asked, as Scott Walker was this week, about birthright citizenship. These are now talking points about the Republicans repealing the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which is not where the party wanted to be. But but is that damaging to the Republican Party or damaging to America? Because this is Oh, like, both. I mean, I think this is absolutely not the turf they wanted to play on. Talking right. about birthright citizenship, which was given to freed African slaves. Yes. <laughs> I yeah, mean, just a, like the idea that we're litigating this with, uh, in 2015 going to 2016 is just Repub- it's Republicans are finally catching up to 1860. Yeah, it's a really timely issue, among other things. All yeah. right. Um, Twitter fans... Maybe Twitter haters don't. Well, but Twitter we'll people, get to we'll, we'll get, get to, to you. Yeah, yeah, Tell yeah. us what you think. Tweet us at Pod for America. Okay, now we have entered the final month of summer, as Mark pointed out, August silly season, and it is therefore only appropriate to spend a, just a little bit of time talking about an enduring, some might say, untainted political tradition, which is that of summering on Nantucket or at Martha's Vineyard. We have in studio an expert on this very subject. He's grimacing as I say this. I think Mark hates me a little bit more today because I'm going to point out that you, Mark Leibovich, spent some time on Martha's Vineyard. Where do you summer, Mark? Up Island? See, the fact that you even downtown. know Up I Island. I read about this today in preparation, intense preparation oh, for this wow. podcast. So you're probably more prepared than I. There was, I mean, just yesterday, I guess, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama yep. attended the same. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton attended right. the same 80th birthday party for Vernon Jordan. Yours truly was. At the party? Invited not to go. Oh, how no, this I was, town. How no, very this town. Never, I was not invited. How I was about, not there. Is the sequel to this town that island? <laughs> oh, I hope not. I mean, here, here's the thing. Anthony Hopkins um, in a, never mind. Look, Hillary Clinton um, went directly from the Iowa State Fair where she was eating pork on a stick and then got into a private plane and went to Martha's Vineyard. So I do think that she realized after a very, very brief period on the island, she and Bill realized that it was time to return to the heartland of the Hamptons, which is what they did <laughs> after going to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, I will say that the rumors are true. I, I spent a little time there. It is a glorious and beautiful island I would highly recommend. Wait, okay, wait. Anyone going there. But, okay, okay, look, but not... how can you... Okay, you, Mark I, Leibovich, I seasoned political journalist, gimlet eye mm. cast on those who who operate under pretense yeah. and with false sincerity. It's the most oh, poetic sort of long-winded intro I can give so, you. How do you manage to relax how do I, oh, how do I and mean? have a good time surrounded by this... This, this political you, sort of carnival. Why do you assume I relaxed and had a good time? <laughs> um, especially since I left in the middle of it to go to Cleveland for a few days. Yes. Um, oh, that was a magic time. Look, I personally did not see any of these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no plans with any of these people. I am just a small, simple man from a small, simple 
part of Up Island known as Aquina. Are we making Mark feel really bad about his vacation? No, we're not. There's nothing that will make me feel bad about my vacation. Here's it's what really I'm going nice. to say about Martha's Vineyard. When I was a White House, when I was a lowly White House reporter many, many moons ago. You were a White House reporter? I was a White House reporter. For who? You didn't know that? For AOL, for Politics Daily. Oh, yeah, then, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you cover like. The I president? was in the briefing room every day. Well, who was president? Uh, George H.W. Bush. H.W. Bush? No, of course not. Barack Obama, dude. Oh, okay. All right, fine. I love that you think that I'm that old. No, I don't. I was a wunderkind. I was only seven. Anyway, it was not that long ago. Barack Obama was still president. But it was in, I think, 2010. And, you know, he'd been president for basically a year. He was going on a second vacation to Mm. Martha's Vineyard. And it was such a thing in the White House press corps. Robert Gibbs was being asked incessantly. I remember it was like, I think one of the first questions I ever got to ask, maybe Bill Burton answered Bill Burton was like the backup. I think Bill was backup because it was right after the BP oil spill or the BP oil spill was ongoing and President Obama went to Martha's Vineyard and it was a thing in this, in, in nationally that you know, we were climbing out of this what could have, should have maybe been termed a depression, climbing out of a recession, and the president was vacationing on Martha's Vineyard. So there was the indignation about that. But there was also something that I think Obama watchers were per- particularly perplexed by, which was here was a president who'd sort of never partaken in the rituals that presidents partake in, that was not into the sort of golfing, strategic golf outings. And here he was going to Martha's Vineyard, and that somehow felt incongruous. But he had been going for years. And I right? think that Correct. people I mean, did not realize right. that. And they also, and I think also for some parts of like black society, Martha's Vineyard. I mean, black society, it has a historic black neighborhood. There is like a whole enclave there that I think most people are not familiar with. Yes. Um, Oak Bluffs. But Down Island. It was just that that conversation has fallen by the wayside to, and I, I, I guess perhaps rightfully so, so much so that the president is now golfing with Bill Clinton on Martha's Vineyard and there we go. Yeah. I mean, to his credit. And, and, and good on him. I mean, he should enjoy his vacation. Yeah. I don't, I think any criticism of any president because, oh, so-and-so is vacationing while X, Y, Z. Always hated that trope, whether no matter who's in the White House. It's just Yeah, stupid. it's awful. It's like, yeah, then you have the juxtaposed pictures of so-and-so golfing. and then... Right. I mean, at this time of American crisis with Donald Trump is leading in the polls, I was eating tomatoes on the North Fork of Long Island. Oh, my gosh, really? All right. Well, we are nearly out of time for this week's podcast. Not totally, though. Podcast of the one... people. That's what we should rename our thing. Uh, well, that's what we originally workshopped that name. It didn't <laughs> did. poll test yeah, well. it didn't poll test. If you like us, please let us know. We, we like to know when we're liked. Write a little email and send it to podcastforamerica at gmail.com. Mark Leibovich will personally respond. We read all of your comments. We actually really do. And thank you for listening. But before we go, we are going to end on a brand new philosophical segment where we ask a philosophical question. Imagine that. This week's philosophical question is, does Twitter make us happier? No. No. <laughs> no. It doesn't. It's it's kind of necessary. It's it's really useful if you're a journalist. You see what's going on. It's pretty good at aggregating what else is out there. But um, you want to hear something terrible yes. about me? The yeah. other day, I had meditated, huh. and I like got out of my meditation, and I opened my computer, and I immediately looked at Twitter, and I was like, I'm a person who hmm. learns no lessons uh, and knows nothing about man, life. Man, man. It is just it is one of these funny things where it's it's completely magnetic and and distracting. People get in the stupidest possible arguments on it, which sometimes I love. And and so I have a real love-hate relationship with it. The social media site that I like the best is Instagram because nobody tells you... Yes, baby, yes. Really? 
I'm not on there. I get so much like sexist bullshit on Twitter, but on Instagram, it's just beautiful. It's what people are eating. Yep. They're not calling you names. It is wonderful. Should I, I go on Instagram? Oh my, you Mark, should. we have your first Instagram. It's the really? cover of the Chinese edition of This Town okay. featuring Anthony Hopkins as a cl- crying clown. People may think I am lying about this. We're going to no, tweet it from the Pod this. for America yeah. account because it's, yeah, we are. Like, honestly, like it's breathtaking. But I will say every cab ride home, I get car sick from looking at Instagram because I, it's what I do to my ritual. I love Instagram. I have now, in my ripe old age, started after the George H.W. Bush administration. I was never the same. I have started using Twitter as a place for random Stuart Smalley-like thoughts and occasional links. Oh, really? I, I yes, and I I've no, I can't I can't engage too much too much back right. and forth because that I feel like is soul sucking. I mean, if you ever have to ask yourself, should I tweet this? The answer is probably no, right? Yeah, well, although sometimes it's just so sometimes maybe being it's wrong. right on that line. You can be funny, Mark. Thank you, Annie. Mark so, is very funny. Occasionally, you say things that I like. See, to this hear. is me. This is like, like once every three weeks or so. This is like this this Anthony Hopkins on the Chinese. <laughs> this is like no, you were hilarious because you're just like a quip machine. Um, I just it doesn't make me happier. The, forget the quips. Wait, Mark, does it make you unhappier? It might. <laughs> the only way Twitter makes me happier is if I t- see a few things I wouldn't have seen and I print them out. And then I have. You do not print out Twitter. Sometimes tweets. I do. You not do tweets. Not. No, no, no. Links like to stories oh, I might oh, not have oh. known of. Or God, that would be read. amazing if you were printing out reams of tweets. No, like, there are people leafing like that. through the the printout. We're starting this rumor on Twitter. No, 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 no. But I, <laughs> Mark Leibovich prints Twitter to read it. <laughs> um, oh, do you ever read Twitter in bed? Oh my! Because I do. Sometimes. This sounds like yeah. a bad OK Cupid question. No, I sometimes <laughs> look. I do it for news reading purposes. I would mm-hmm. want to. Sure. What has happened in you these read it last for the last few articles? Uh, no, I mean, but you know what? Um, I'm writing about Larry King now. Larry King is a Twitter god. You should go on to King's Things, which is Larry King's Twitter feed. I'm writing about this now. I'm not the first to write about it. But Larry King has become a friend, and we will have him if he's still talking to me on a future uh. podcast for America. What he has opened my eyes to is that Twitter is ADD heaven. A lot of the best journalists I know, a lot of the best TV people I know, Larry King, the king, is all ADD. And if you have any predilection to ADD, as I do, Twitter is addictive and it's perfect because you just keep scrolling and nothing. And And it makes me unhappy because one of my goals in life is to have a more you know, deep and rich appreciation for everything and approach to everything that transcends the limitations of my ADD. So that got a little deep. That was exactly what we were going for. Yeah. So look, you've actually helped me become a better self. Well, I'll just tell our listeners out there, in addition to this Chinese version of this town, Mark also brought in a fancy, I think it's a Barolo and a violin and other things that he's trying to learn to appreciate. I don't know what a Barolo is. Oh, Mark. I didn't go to the cla- fancy it. schools. Like, search it. There, search the hashtag on Twitter. It's a red wine. Really? They drink it on uh, Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> Apparently. Ah, uh, no. you're welcome. Chardonnay by the Bay, baby. Okay, people, that's it. That's it for this podcast for America. We did great. I think that was really good. That was a very lively edition. One of our tightest sets yet. Titus, I think we're getting like a band. We are like the Stones in that way. Yeah. Wait till we are 100 years old. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have staying power. Thanks to our producer, Jocelyn King. Frank. 
the our spirit animal, Larry King. And as always, Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of this show. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. And please tell your friends about us, too. You can subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show. For Annie Lowry in D.C. and Mark Leibovich beside me, Anthony Hopkins, somewhere in the ether, I'm Alex Wagner in New York. We'll talk to you next time, and thanks for listening. <laughs>